Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. And Connor, as always, man, appreciate you joining us here on the opening game week for the SEC. How you doing? Um, I'm doing well. Hey, last I checked, you know, Vandy, Hawaii was really when my SEC season kicked off. And I think everybody watched that game thinking to themselves, this is what an SEC team looks like. So I guess we call this week number two, if you will, uh, for SEC play. No, in all seriousness, it's great to have a full slate of SEC teams. <laughs> I am very fired up for this weekend. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you know we're just we're uh, this is Vandy's world, and we're just all living in it after uh, that week zero matchup against Hawaii. But I mean, listen, it's it's good to see them get off to a good start, and I know that with uh, Missouri and Tennessee last night taking care of business too. In their games, SEC is undefeated. So let's just start there with the three SEC teams we've seen so far. Granted, they were not playing great teams or, you know, teams that maybe they thought they were going to lose. But uh, did anything really stand out to you from the first three teams from the SEC in uh, their first games of the season? So I I think Tennessee, if you're one of these people that's like, ah, you know, Tennessee's getting too much buzz this year. I think think Tennessee is a team that I'm, I'm high on in part because of that offense. And if you're, you know, I know that KJ Jefferson's been in the same conversations that, that Hendon Hooker has. Who's that number two quarterback in the SEC behind Bryce Young? And I think you watch some of the things that Hendon Hooker does. You know, like, man, he, he does a lot of things really well, and he still has room for improvement. And that's kind of how I feel about KJ, too. And you see it, albeit against a very, uh, a very porous Ball State defense, but you see why he is so special and why he is so good in that Josh Heupel offense. And then to see Brew McCoy out there making plays for, for Tennessee after just a whirlwind college career that he's had by way of Texas and USC and, and coming over and being eligible on August 26th and finding out, oh, hey, you can actually play this season, you're eligible, and then to be a fixture of their offense in the first half, you know, I thought was a key development for them. I mean, Tennessee's offense looked the part. They're going to be really tough to stop. I, I've been on record saying I think Tennessee could have the number one offense in all college football, even better than Alabama, even better than Ohio State. But I don't know that Tennessee is going to stop a soul on defense. So that kind of means that they should be scoring a lot of points late into these games. And I thought Tennessee definitely looked the part um, week one. But then again, I, I guess everybody looked the part week one in the SEC so far. With some of these matchups coming up this weekend, some of the great ones in the SEC – which team has the toughest matchup, you think? Oh, it's it's easily Florida. I mean, Florida's matchup at home against Utah, a Utah team that I have in the college football playoff is a really daunting task for a first-year head coach in Billy Napier. And I, I think part of that is because, yeah, we see the spread, and the spread has been Utah favored by, what, like two and a half points? That's it. But that style is supposed to be able to travel really well. You know, they, they play this hard-nosed physical defense. They stop the run especially well, which is going to test Florida. They have a nice one-two punch on offense and Cam Rising and Fabian Thomas. They have maybe the number two tight ends group in all of college football that isn't as far behind Georgia as some, some people might think. And they have a lot of, of returning pieces that you just make that just kind of stop and make you think, all right, this, this team is going to look the part on an SEC field. And in that atmosphere, I think Utah is going to be able to hold their own. I don't necessarily think that this is a game in which Florida is just going to look like a, a, a program in total rebuild mode because you have Anthony Richardson. 
And that dude is special, and he's going to make a couple of plays over the course of the evening that just make you say, wow. We do not see that very often in college football. And I think he's going to be able to be one of those guys on a weekly basis. But to, to be able to come out and, and win this football game, I, I think it comes down to making the fewest mistakes. I think Utah is going to do that, and they're going to give Florida what I would predict to be the only opening weekend loss for the SEC. Uh, that was actually going to be my question is how do you think the whole SEC fared? But, yeah, the one loss there uh, will be tough. And, and I think a lot of people, though, too, uh, are looking at Georgia and Oregon in, in that game, which, of course, is a, a top 15 matchup. I don't know. I'm laughing about that one, Connor, because I feel like more people have confidence in Florida beating Utah than what they would Oregon beating Georgia. It just seems like even though Florida is an unranked team and there's a lot of uncertainty there, people just don't think Oregon even has a shot against Georgia. What do you make of that matchup, and does Oregon have any shot to knock off the defending national champs? I'm here in Atlanta. I'll be there tomorrow for that game. And I've been saying all week, um, really all offseason, when I close my eyes and I picture how it's going to look in the final minutes of that game, do I picture Bo Nix playing a 60-minute football game against Georgia? No, because, yeah, I realize this is a new Oregon team. He's got so many returning starters on an offensive line, different offense, all those different things. But I can't picture Bo Nix playing a 60-minute game against Georgia because I've watched him lose to that Kirby Smart defense three different times. I watched him average 4.99 yards per attempt, and I watched his offense average 10 points a game. And, yeah, Dan Lanning is on the other sideline now. Maybe that kind of holds the Georgia offense at bay for the first part of the game. I could see that being kind of a feeling-out period early on. But Bo Nix makes too many mistakes to beat a defense of Georgia's caliber. It's as simple as that. And I, and I realize that I'm saying that about a group that's got eight new starters returning on defense. But they still have a preseason All-American at every level of that defense. Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, the national championship hero. So I still think that Bonex is going to make some of those mistakes that you just cannot make in a game like this. And I think it's a game that George is able to come away with a win, and I think they cover a, what is it, a 17 and a half point spread. I mean, that tells you a lot. Like Everybody's talking about playoff expansion right now. Number 11, Oregon, against number three, Georgia. Georgia's a 17-and-a-half-point favorite for a neutral site game. I got neutral site in you know, air quotes, but that, that to me is telling. I think Georgia's going to cover that spread. Florida State at LSU, a uh, couple of teams that we really don't know what to expect from either team. How do you see that matchup? Yeah, you hit it right there. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect from LSU this year. I, I'm willing to admit that. I think we're the most unpredictable team in college football. I think we're going to see a sloppy opener. I really do. I, I think we're going to be distracted by the fact that it's a Sunday night game between two premier programs who have won a national title within the last decade, and it's going to be played in the Superdome. And we're going to think, all right, this is, this is going to be a great game. And then we're going to be reminded very early on, oh, yeah, both these teams had losing records last year. And we don't necessarily know what to expect from the quarterback position at LSU where you would think Jaden Daniels is going to be the guy, the Arizona State transfer, but he really hasn't been an elite quarterback since 2019 when he was a true freshman and he had weapons. But I think the difference in this game in what should be a, kind of a sloppy back-and-forth game is what LSU has on that defensive line. We know Florida State's offensive line has been an issue really post-Jimbo Fisher era and even at the end of the Jimbo Fisher era. And I think that's where LSU can really assert its dominance because they have dudes in the front seven. I don't know what we're going to get from the secondary. I don't know what we're going to get from their offensive line, quarterback position, but I know they have some dudes up front 
and they will make their presence felt in that game. And I think LSU wins an ugly one. Speaking with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. All right, Connor, i got to ask you about, of course, Arkansas and Cincinnati, a top 25 matchup. Arkansas does not get these games very often in the opening uh, game of the season, but the fact that it's at home and it's a defense against a team that was in the college football playoff last year, both teams are different. But as, as I mentioned there in the early part of the segment, it seems like everybody is picking Arkansas on this one. Obviously, we know you are because you said Florida would be the only loss from the SEC. So what type of win do you think this will be for the Razorbacks over Cincinnati? 21-17, hard fought, down to the wire, a game that makes the national college football landscape go, huh, maybe we shouldn't be sleeping on Cincinnati. I know they lost a ton. And this is going to look really weird for Luke Fickle probably in the post-Desmond Ritter era, which um, he doesn't he doesn't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to look like. But what I, I think is key for Arkansas in this game isn't just, oh, you assume Kendall Bryles is going to run the football. It's KJ getting involved in the passing game. I don't think that Arkansas is going to or should follow the exact game plan that Alabama had that worked so well last year against, against Cincinnati in the playoff because what's gone? Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, MyJ Sanders, the edge rusher, like they're they're gone. That the way to attack the Cincinnati team might just be going to the air. And for all the questions about the Arkansas pass catchers, I think it'd be uh, it would be a huge huge thing moving forward to be able to kind of establish the passing game and figure those things out now against inexperienced players. Because I think Cincinnati is better against the run than they're probably giving credit for. I think they were like 27th in the country last year in terms of uh, yards per carry allowed. You know, I, I think that you can you can run the ball, but you still need to be able to have that balance. So I think Arkansas wins a hard-fought game, a game that goes down to the wire, maybe a Rocket Sanders late touchdown run. I know I'm preaching the choir by saying that, but I think that that's ultimately the difference in this one. And it's a, it's a very close game that Arkansas kind of makes you realize, like, all right, they can win a game like this, and they can win playing an ugly style of football. Got the news about college football playoff and the expansion that is upon us, getting the the commissioners to agree on it. How do you feel overall about expansion in college football? I've accepted it. I didn't need it, but I've accepted it. I would love the idea of having home games, college campuses hosting college football playoff games in the first round. And it'd be great. I think that'd be a cool thing to see in an era where fans feel more and more like, the decision makers are all just about money and greed and whatnot. I think that would be a nice concession to see moving forward. I, I'm not going to complain about more football. I love more football. Do I think the landscape of the sport is going to change? Absolutely not. I think this is still all about talent acquisition. I still think the likes of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, if you're not recruiting at a level like them, you do not have a chance whatsoever to win three consecutive games against top five, top seven type teams and route to a national championship. You just don't. So I don't think if you're one of these fan bases on the outside looking in, you know, Wisconsin or you know, a team that like Oklahoma or something like that, you've kind of been there, you've been knocking on the door at Notre Dame. I don't think you should all of a sudden assume that this, this is going to change your overall outlook. But do they need to get more teams involved in the postseason process? Yeah, absolutely. There are only six programs in college football who can claim they won a playoff game. I mean, that's crazy, and we're in, what, this is going to be year nine of this system? I mean, you need more of that in the sport. So I've accepted it. I'm not one of those people that's banging the drum for it, but I obviously see why the money is the way that it is, and I think ultimately it has a chance to be good for the sport. 
What, what do you think is going to go into determining when it starts? Uh, when we heard about it a couple of days ago, it was thrown out there 2024, and now it's been thrown out 2026. So what do you think is going to determine whether they can get this thing done sooner than later? Yeah, this is all, all about those TV contracts. And if you can get everybody on board to rip up these TV contracts, and get them started as soon as possible with these new deals. And I'm sure that the SEC wants to figure out expansion and what it would look like to get Texas and Oklahoma on board because we know that the Big 12 is negotiating that contract, and that apparently is going to be the thing that's going to open up Texas and Oklahoma leaving early to come to the SEC. So there, a lot of these pieces are, are connected, but this all comes back to that TV money. If you can get everybody on board to rip up that contract, because that's what you need. You need unanimous unanimous support to make this happen before the current contract runs out, which, remember, that runs through the 2025 season, would theoretically start. We're starting with the 12-team playoff at at the latest 2026. So you need everybody on board, TV partners, all these conference commissioners, to say, all right, we're willing to do this, we're willing to make this happen, and, you know, we'll let the chips fall where they may. But a huge domino impact. It'll have on college football. I think the SEC is going to have a 3-6-6 model for their conference scheduling that's going to come out soon as a result of this. And I think they'll get that started to co- to, to align with the 12-team the playoff era whenever that begins. One other thing, too, I wanted to ask you about, since we're on the discussion of uh, playoffs and, and slowly but surely we're getting more details about it. it look, this is coming from the, the official release from the college football playoff that the field will consist of six highest-ranked conference champions and then six highest-ranked at-large teams. Some people were trying to think about automatic qualifiers, which it looks like that's going to be the case here, at least uh, as far as the highest-ranked ones. But how do you feel about them measuring those types of teams getting in by doing the six-and-six model of the highest-ranked champions and then the highest-ranked at-large teams? It's way better than what was was, um, expected for six or eight. Way better. Um, having the six at large, I mean, think about if we were talking about, wow, like tomorrow's Arkansas-Cincinnati game has playoff implications. I mean, there are a portion of Arkansas fans listening to this saying, hey, you idiot, Arkansas is a playoff contender. What are you talking about? They have, they have playoff odds in the 14 playoffs. I mean, it would be different if we were talking about 12-team playoffs. It absolutely would. I think that the way this sets up is makes a lot more sense. We have... 20 years worth of data that shows us that not all conferences are created equal. And if you had a system, which would be six or eight teams in which the SEC could realistically only get two teams in there, that doesn't benefit the SEC. It doesn't. And it makes no sense for them to want to sign off on something like that. And nor should they, because I mean, let's be honest, 12 of the last 16 national championships, that kind of speaks for itself. So I I do think that they, they settled on the right model. And I think that the SEC very soon, along with the big 10, We'll be having three to four teams in the college football playoff, and I think that we're going to continue to see these teams, these teams and these conferences separate themselves. Well, with uh, Big Ten and SEC separating themselves, if you take them out of the equation, what conferences do you see benefit the most from adding so many teams? Got to be the group of five, right? You know, I, I think somebody like the Pac-12, obviously, you know, they, they benefit from it, but if the Pac-12 was just putting a team in there and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're, you're still getting destroyed in the first round, I, I don't know that that changes a whole lot where we know the barriers to entry for the group of five have been 
more significant in Cincinnati, getting there last year and finally getting over that hump. We saw what it took to get there. I mean, beating Notre Dame on the road like they did, beating my alma mater, Indiana, who at the time was considered a much better team than it turned out to be. I, I think that you saw how hard it was. And the fact that Cincinnati started off as a preseason top 10 team was huge for them to get to the playoff last year. And now with this current model, you don't necessarily have to worry about that because obviously six highest rated conference champions one would think that a team like Cincinnati could win its conference and be in that discussion without having all of this debate and all are they worthy and whatnot. I would think that the group of five is going to benefit the most from it in that regard. But, I mean, the SEC is still going to, it's still going to benefit even more. I mean, that, that's the crazy thing. It's like we could have three teams out of the four in, in, you know, in the college football playoff, much like we do with the college world series. They could be really similar to that moving forward. And in all these people that think that the SEC's reign is about to fall off, I got another thing for you. It's, it's not happening, and it's not happening anytime soon. See, because to me too, Connor, I feel like for – and I'm just being realistic. If I wanted the Razorbacks to be in the college football playoff, having 12 teams is their best chance. Just because of the amount of exclusivity to having those four teams. And I feel like there's a lot of teams like Arkansas where – they're all in favor of this because, yeah, it benefits certain conferences to have a chance at it too, but it benefits certain teams to where it would take a lot for them to be considered one of the top four teams, but it takes a lot to be a lot easier from having them be one of the top 12 teams. Can you picture, too, just being part of that conversation and how fun that's going to be? I mean, it, it, it will be. I mean, we still talk about the fact that when the first ever playoff poll came out, Mississippi State was number one in the country, right? Like, that's a big deal to people there to feel like they are that much a part of this relevance. And Arkansas, to be a part of that, which they are set up to be in that conversation, and I, I don't think it's crazy to say that they're a team that could easily be a top 15 team on an annual basis, right? If you're all of a sudden getting to have those conversations, not just for the eight months in the offseason, but for those two to three months during the season, even if you don't make the playoff every single year, that just kind of changes the way that people feel about your program. And then getting to host a home playoff game, I think would be a really cool thing to see. And that whether you have national championship potential or not, to kind of see, oh, college football playoff. In the same way that we talk about getting to play in a 3.30 game on CBS and how why that's significant, it feels bigger. I think the college football playoff could have that type of impact on programs like Arkansas that haven't been there. And realistically, is Arkansas going to make the 14 playoff? Uh, I mean, in, in, this, in this current iteration of it, probably not. And I do think that that makes them more relevant. It just kind of changes the conversation about the program. Yeah, I was just tweeted it out. I was like, I couldn't imagine like having a playoff game for the college football playoff being in Fayetteville, Arkansas in December. Like, just It would be the biggest sporting right? event in the history of Razorback Athletics, and I would probably crap my pants multiple times if that ended up happening. So let's just uh, let's just see when that ever that happens we get to that point. But, Connor, man, appreciate you joining us. Good, good luck this weekend. I know it's a lot of fun having college football back, especially for you. Have fun there in Atlanta, man, and we'll be catching up with you as the season goes on, all right? Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys.